0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Hello everyone, and welcome back to the New Books in East Asian Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Li Pingchen, one of the hosts of the channel. Today we'll be talking to Dr. Li Junxiao about his new book. This book is The Soldier Writer, The Expatriate, The Cold War Modernism in Taiwan, Freedom in the Trenches. This book was published by Lansington Books in 2022. This book argues that what appeared to be a genesis of new literature engendered by the modernist movement in post-war Taiwan was made possible only through the splendid isolation within the Cold War world order, in which the self-proclaimed free China lived on borrowed time. Xiao explores the trenches of freedom, where the soldier poets deviated from the official line under the aegis of pure literature and the buffer zone created by the U.S. presence in Taiwan. This book examines the anti-establishment character in their literary production, especially in terms of its entanglements with the state apparatus and the U.S.-aided literary establishment. Their modernist writings, as Xiao analyzes, should be understood in a bifurcated model of existence and operation that separates aesthetics from everything else in life during the Cold War. All right, so that's a brief introduction about the book. Now let's hear it from the author. Li Jun, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks for inviting me, Li Pin. I'm glad to be here.
1: All right, so before we uh, talk about your awesome book, um, can you tell a li- little bit about uh, yourself, your uh, research interests, and anything you'd like to share with our audience?
0: Okay. Um, my name is Li Xiao. Uh, I'm from Taiwan. Uh, I'm currently teaching at University, uh, at Waseda University uh, in Tokyo, Japan. Uh, previously, I taught at National Taiwan University and National Jiao Tong University before that. Um, My research interests include, well, um, post-colonial studies, uh, literary and cultural theories, Taiwan literature and culture, and Anglophone uh, Caribbean literatures. Uh, So that you can tell that 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 cuts across a lot of different fields of specialty. but uh, some of those uh, research interests and uh, uh, my uh, years of studies uh, don't come across uh, in this book. Uh, but uh, as I will mention later on, uh, especially when we talk about my next project, uh, you know, I think uh, especially um, my work on post studies uh, will be also brought to the forefront um, Uh, In my project, uh, at least in the near future.
1: All right. So, among so many different fields that you are expert in, so uh, how did you start this particular book project about Taiwan and also specifically modernist literature uh, in the Cold War period?
0: Uh, Okay, it's something more personal, uh, but it also has a lot to do with uh, the kind of academic uh, climate environment that I have worked in, especially during my time in Taiwan. Uh, I think I'm old enough (laughs) um, to belong to uh, one of those generations in Taiwan uh, in which uh, most people uh, interested in literature or trend in literary studies would be heavily influenced one way or another uh, by the modernist paradigm. I, I'm sure you are familiar with this this paradigm, even though you are obviously much younger. Uh, but uh, people uh, who are, you know, I would say uh, more than forty uh, would be uh, definitely kind of brought up uh, in this uh, kind of uh, tradition, uh, even though it is not limited to, uh, you know, uh, the 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 uh department of foreign languages and literature uh, in national taiwan university tai dai wen Shi. we can also talk about that institution and its institutional influences later on when we talk to individual talk about individual chapters uh, but uh, so because of this uh, upbringing <laughs> um, uh, so i i found myself uh, you know, taking for granted a lot of the uh, presuppositions about literature uh, and uh, even, you know, uh, approaches to literary studies. And uh, uh, after I uh, went abroad uh, for my doctoral studies in the United States, uh, I kind of, uh, I also... Uh, didn't find it uh, conflicting or, you know, incompatible to specialize in post-colonial studies, you know, even with my um, uh, quite obvious uh, modernist orientations. Uh, and then... Um, as the, the years went by, I also, uh, I, can, I, I actually, uh, after arriving in uh, uh, American academia, I quickly noticed that uh, for a lot of people, uh, at least for a lot of American scholars and, you know, uh, to some extent, uh, uh, European scholars as well, uh, you know, uh, did uh, post-colonial studies and uh, modernism studies, uh, don't mix. Uh, they, they don't have too much common ground, right, uh, as far as they were concerned. And, and a lot of people, a lot of scholars in modernism studies uh, simply didn't like some of the uh, uh, intellectual orientations or methodologies uh, preferred by a lot of scholars uh, in post-col- uh, post-colonial studies. Um, so, But this kind of... Um, contradiction uh, didn't dawn on me until uh, a couple of years yeah, into my doctoral studies and didn't cause uh, too much trouble for me intellectually uh, in, my, uh, in my career uh, until uh, after I started teaching and uh, and uh, kind of uh, branding myself as a post-colonial scholar while also uh, have, you know, uh, some of the remnants of, uh, of uh, modernist uh, thinking and approaches to literature. Uh, so uh, I have, uh, I, for a long time, I have wanted to kind of sort it out uh, by myself, just, you know, if only for my own sake, right? Uh, what was it that um, made me wanted to, that made me wanted to, uh, Focused on postcolonial studies uh, uh, after this kind of uh, modernist upbringing, uh, after kind of uh, immersing myself in modernist paradigm, and uh, you know what my what I can do uh, and, and what what could I do if I uh, wanted to kind of bridge uh, these two fields uh, and uh, and and also. Uh, doing, for example, doing something related to uh, Taiwan studies, uh, you know, uh, and, and involving some of the post colonial issues uh, while uh, still uh, making uh, some of the uh, modernist um, meanings uh, you know, uh, useful uh, for me. Um, so it wasn't easy. And uh, and, uh, you know, up until this day, I don't think I can, I, I, you know, I don't think I have come up with a kind of satisfactory work uh, that can uh, somehow bridge these two uh, separate fields, uh, but I'm still trying. Um, and, uh, but I think, you know, I eventually I realized that uh, I might have to do it, you know, at least in two steps. So I try to, um, uh, clarify some of my uh, thinkings and, uh, and previous work uh, on modernism uh, by doing this book and uh, you know, in terms of the uh, academic setup or uh, the institutional climate in Taiwan uh, I wasn't you know, um, I didn't have much, uh, I didn't have too many opportunities to really um you know focus on uh, modernist works you know after you know after uh, you have kind of uh, uh, been labeled um, as say postcolonial right a post-colonial scholar right? and uh, so uh, so this had uh, this uh, the you know this work uh, in progress has been in the back burner uh, for uh, for a long time and you uh, Finally, uh, just you know, somehow by chance, and also uh, maybe uh, my years of thinking also amounted to some kind of preparation for this. I got this opportunity to do a book um, um, on modernism, especially in the Cold War context, and I got a book contract from Lessington. So, uh, so I you know set out uh, doing it and. uh, It took a lot more time than I had imagined, and but I finally got it done. That's you know such a long story, but uh, um, but yeah. So so yeah. So so when we get to my next, you know, get to the last question that you had, uh, it might be asking me uh, uh, about my next project, or we can talk more about that. Uh, But this is you know this. Book project is long time coming, and I think uh, maybe maybe uh, my experience as uh, as an academic um, nurtured in in Taiwan uh, also can speak to some of other people's experiences, especially people in my generation who branched out to other uh, fields of specialty.
1: Mm. So uh, thank you, Jing, for sharing, especially this, uh, your educational background, academic training, and also the personal reflections over the year that inform the writing and the formation and eventually the uh, completion of this book project. So you were uh, mentioning uh, modernist literature several times already. And so uh, one of the most challenging questions that I have for you in the store is, so, what is modern literature? So, what do we mean by modern? So, can you tell us a little bit about this, and then uh, how you approach this uh, category?
0: Okay, uh, I think you know that's you know we have to kind of um, circumvent uh, you know uh, the uh, definition issues. Um, because uh, you know that you know, if not done delicately, that wouldn't get us very far. Uh, but you know, let me. Uh, we can start with uh, you know some of the terms that were employed uh, in the uh, formation of so-called modernist literature in Cold War Taiwan. Uh, in Chinese, initially, it was. More frequently uh, mentioned or referred to as modern not just the name of the journal uh, itself, but you know, in, gener- in general, uh, you know, some kind of uh, new paradigm of literature that uh, that that some modernist writers were advocating for uh, was initially referred to as 現代文學, modern literature. Right? Um, and uh, but of of course quickly uh, uh, people found it necessary to define, modern, uh, and, uh, and then and of course uh, there was you know uh, this um, uh, movement of modernist poetry that uh, that named uh, this new paradigm as Pai, right. Uh, so, so eventually, uh, of course, uh, the contestations over the definition of modernism and mo- modernist literature came to the fore, and uh, I think um, uh, modernism, uh, as I put it uh, in in the especially in the preface and the intro- in in the introduction. Has definitely had uh, a lot of contesting definitions, uh, whether in Europe, uh, America, or in Taiwan or or elsewhere in the world. Uh, And uh, uh, for, you know, as far as the, the modernist literature in Cold War Taiwan is concerned, uh, I think it comes down to uh, one's conceptions, whether they admit it or not, uh, about uh, the, what, whatever is contemporary, right? the contemporary uh, contemporaneity of creative writing at the time, uh, at that historical juncture. Um, although uh, at the same time, very interestingly, they, they also invoked um, uh, precedents of modernist literature elsewhere, mostly uh, the, the uh, Euro-American model. right? Uh, in uh, in the manifesto of modernist poetry uh, drafted by Ji Xian, uh, he invoked uh, all the schools of new poetry since Baudelaire, right That's probably the uh, <laughs> Uh, one of the uh, broadest uh, conception of modernism or literary modernity right, uh, in Euro-America. Uh, uh, so there's this uh, very interesting um, uh, uh, presumption about the contemporary uh, contemporaneity of the creative writing that they aim to produce, and, uh, but also this sense of uh, belatedness, right? Uh, in comparison with, you know, all the, uh, you know, uh, European and American models that they, uh, that they involved, right? Uh, that, you know, this ur- urgent, this urge to catch up with, you know, whatever is modern uh, out there, right? Uh, so, um, but, you know, because this is in the Cold War context, uh, we also have to uh, take note of the fact that uh, modernism uh, around that time, uh, around the start of the Cold War, uh, wasn't as new as a few decades ago. Right? Uh, I mean, there have been a lot of uh, work uh done by, uh, especially by some American scholars, some of whom I, I quoted in my, in my book, uh, about this, you know, the, the specific characters of this Cold War iteration, iteration of modernism, modernist literature. Right? Uh, uh, it is definitely uh, not as, you know, it, it does not, have the same kind of radicality or uh, anti-establishment character that marked uh, the earliest phase uh, of modernist literature uh, in Europe, right? uh, It is uh, kind of enlisted in- uh, to be an integral part of some of the Cold War initiatives uh, spearheaded by uh, uh, the uh, American, Authorities, right? So, um, <clears throat> so, so there are a lot of interesting uh, instantiations of modernism uh, that we can see uh, historically, but also uh, in the Cold War context, right? So, one thing that I uh, wanted to highlight is, you know, this series of restarts of modernism, uh, as I also uh, mentioned in my preface. Uh, an introduction that, you know, uh, in the Euro-American context, there have been uh, 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 more than one, there have been multiple uh, proclamations about a a brand new beginning of a certain literary or artistic endeavor, right? Uh, And, uh, uh, you know, including the one... uh, Made famous by uh, Virginia Woolf, that I quoted in, in my preface, uh, and uh, and uh, in 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 the East Asian context, in Taiwan context, uh, well, I say in the East Asian context because that also that would also include uh, China uh, as well. That you know, uh, we, it's al- already common knowledge now that. That uh, modernism uh, or modernist literature uh, actually had appeared uh, in both colonial Taiwan and 1930s China. Right? Uh, so, uh, so it it wasn't exactly a, a brand new beginning, but it has been uh, perceived. Uh, in that way, uh, you know, uh, ever since the emergence of um, the modernist paradigm, uh, at least in the Taiwan context, right, that we uh, tend to think that this is the, the you know, kind of groundbreaking mm-hmm. endeavor, uh, this, uh, this is totally, you know, uh, especially, com- you know, when considering the uh, uh, Cold War context, this is totally uh, out of the blue right uh, the the that modernist manifesto uh, uh, pronounced by ji right? you right know, it was in 1956 right? uh, taiwan was still uh, you know that the you know the 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 situation across the taiwan strait was still very tense right? uh, you know uh, there you know, two, t- two years later after that that Declaration that that manifesto, uh, there was uh, there were the series of bombardment by right, Jinmen. Right, uh, so yeah, I mean, people realized that there was a really precarious time. Right, uh, but you know, why modernism? Right? <laughs> why do we do modernist literature uh, uh, under such circumstances? so. That's one of the uh, the. Uh, uh, contextual uh, issues that I think uh, can shed light on some of the very interesting characteristics of this uh, modernism uh, in Cold War Taiwan.
1: Right, and I especially definitely agree with you that it's never easy to just put a straightforward definition, right? So that's why I say this is the, one of the challenging uh, questions that we have in the store. Um, as you mentioned that the uh, definition or the formation of the modernist literature, especially in Cold War Taiwan, the process and then the definition itself uh, is, con- uh, is a contested side where we see the uh, Western uh, models, but we also have the uh, different uh, legacies and also this vision to restart as if to uh, being rebirth and then to kind of uh, have a clean break uh, from the past. But later on, we will be talking about that it seemed to be uh, quite a mixture of different uh, legacies, and um, and also uh, since we're talking about the Cold War and especially the situation in Taiwan is um, um, complicated. Specifically, thinking about na- the nationalist regime and then how it was still authoritarian authoritarian regime with the uh, martial law in effect. So uh, how does the uh, nationalist government respond to this uh, trend and also rise of literary modernism in Taiwan?
0: Yeah, good question. I think, you know, um, this issue uh, has been addressed uh, not only by me in my book, but also by uh, the prior research uh, in the in uh, the primary one of the uh, uh primary sources uh, in the english uh, language that i cited frequently is uh the two books by uh, professor uh Zhang Songsheng, song shen right you uh, mm-hmm. Zhang um, teaching in te- texas uh, austin texas uh, um so um I think there there's, there was this kind of um, uh, some kind of um, tolerance or acquiescence on the part of uh, the nationalist government, uh, especially uh, since the mid-1950s, right, when the anti-communist uh, literature has kind of uh, uh, uh Run out of steam. uh, That that they sense that it's not effective, uh, as effective as maybe a a couple of years ago. uh, That people are tired of that, Uh, and uh, and uh, they also sense that there might be something that can be uh, incorporated into the uh, or kind of uh, co-opted. into the official policy about uh, literary productions, uh, if um, we can somehow and, and also help them to kind of help the the, the uh, nationalist uh, government to present itself uh, as uh, you know some kind of liberal meaning although that might sounds really strange, but because of the uh, American presence, uh, because of the fact that. Uh, you know Chiang regime had to be uh, you know one of the allies of the United States in East Asia so uh, there's there, there seems to be this need for some kind of uh, at least some semblance of uh, open-mindedness right uh, um, uh, you know uh, in 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 you know cold War Taiwan to kind of uh Uh, claim yourself to be part of the free world right so that that um so so uh some of the uh, earliest uh, out of case of modern or modernist literature also uh um kind of take advantage of that or place into uh, that kind of uh larger context of um of uh, American presence, you know, that can be conducive to their uh, artistic and literary endeavors. Right? Um, so uh, so they, um, but, you know, what they did, uh, what the modernists did uh, wasn't to kind of uh, initiate some kind of all-out um, attack on uh, the conventional um forms of literature or the uh, the, uh, the the kind of official uh, officially uh, endorsed uh, genre of literature like uh, anti-communist anti-communist literature instead uh, they had this kind of uh, bifurcation uh, in their in their literary endeavors by you know uh, uh, you know, on the one hand, um, partic participating in producing uh, anti-communist literature. Uh, this is something that xian and the soldier poets uh, did uh, uh, to kind of uh, keep themselves uh, in the in some kind of safety net, right? We did that. Uh, you know, we uh, we uh, you know actually also put into practice uh, the kind of uh, literary output that the authority wanted, right? But on the other hand, uh, we also want to use our spare time. Actually, that's, you know, most of their, uh, uh, at least, you know, most of their creative energies uh, on something else, right? They wanted to uh, create something uh some kind of alternative uh, paradigm that they actually enjoy, right? Uh, so, uh, uh, so there's this uh, need and uh, actual practice of uh, what we call in Chinese right? Uh, or uh, is more like, how do you translate that into English? Uh, to kind of, um, State your position clearly to, to whether you are sincere or not to, to uh, to demonstrate uh, your allegiance, right? your loyalty, right? and your or your submission to a certain kind of official ideology or the demand from the authorities. Right. This can, this can also be um, kind of. Uh, uh, uh embodied in the uh um in the uh, uh, manifesto uh, of 1956 right the, the manifesto of modernist poetry uh that you know it, i think uh this is one of the uh, most interesting documents uh as far as you know people outside of taiwan studies are concerned right you know you look at this modernist manifesto and you see uh in the abridged version, uh, the last item on um, their agenda, you know, out of the six uh, precepts of modernist poetry, they listed um, uh, support of freedom and democracy, patriotism, anti-communism. <laughs> uh, so they, they put a kind of some kind of cold War stamp. Uh, on their modernist uh, manifesto, so that's you know definitely uh, one of the best examples of uh, Cold War modernism. I uh, uh, I, I showed this um, document to to uh, the American scholar uh, Greg Van Heisel, who wrote this uh, book uh, into published a, this book in 2015 um, on The Cold War Modernists. Uh, And he was really blown away by this kind of Su Chen or this kind of uh, right? Uh, to the extent that it's elevated uh, to the level of manifesto.
1: Yeah, and then especially as you mentioned uh, in the Cold War structure, especially the nationalist regime, Writers themselves need to think um, more than arts. So they are thinking about how to protect themselves so can, they can continue to produce art. And as you mentioned that, uh, you know, the quote-unquote official literary narrative is this kind of anti-communist uh uh, uh, ideology, the literature, in order to sort of uh, really highlight, if not reinforce, one's political loyalty and one's political stance, and but at the same time, the writer, as you mentioned, the modernist writer, they are trying to still um, express their artistic ag- agency as well. So you have this very interesting um, dynamics or this a delicate balance that you need to sort of show your quote-unquote correct political stance versus you would still like to express the uh, artistic and creative uh, form of uh, individual expression in order to have that layers of protection. And I think the uh, example you gave us is uh, amazing uh, that uh, the the Cold War stamp, as you use this term, Cold War stamp on their uh, modernist manifesto. So now uh, you talk about uh, Ji Xian and also the modernist uh, manifesto uh, in different time. But uh, I would like to sort of uh, um, ask you to introduce uh, who is this the writer of this manifesto? Who is Ji Xian, and what is this manifesto about? And then the uh, influence or the legacy of this particular manifesto.
0: Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean it's definitely very significant. Um, and uh, okay, so first of all, Ji Xian. Right? Uh, so that also brings us back to that question of the one of the restarts of modernist literature. Right? Ji Xian himself actually uh, were, uh, participated or was part of this uh, literary journal um, based in in Shanghai. Uh, in the 1930s, uh, uh, practicing, uh, uh, you know, one version of modernist poetry. Uh, So uh, so, uh, when he, uh, after he relocated to Taiwan, uh, he wanted to kind of revive that uh, and also have this, of course, uh, this ambition of being the leader um, in this part of the Cold War divide uh, of uh, modernist literature that that was interrupted uh, by the civil war. Uh, uh, So, I mean, and and he could do that uh, as if on a clean slate, right? Uh, Because uh, uh, the literary and cultural scene in Taiwan around those years, were quite bleak, right? I mean, you know, the uh, uh, there were uh, many of the uh, intellectuals, uh, writers, artists uh, uh, couldn't uh, come to Taiwan. You know, know, those those Chinese uh, and pre-pre civil war Chinese intellectuals and writers either couldn't come to Taiwan or had already sided with uh, uh, the communist regime and and move on to another, uh, a different type of um, literary or cultural productions. And uh, so there were very few uh, uh, writers like Tishan in Taiwan at the time. And uh, and the local writers, uh, the Taiwanese writers who... Uh, um, did their work during the colonial era uh, had to relearn the Chinese language? Right, uh, they had to switch to a different language of their literary production. So, so uh, it was you know really a a a kind of uh, kind of uh, it, he could really uh, initiate some kind of fresh start Right, uh, that's also part of the uh, uh, you know. Uh, core conditions that I elaborated in the book, you know, maybe I but I don't but I don't think I have a time to elaborate that, those in detail. But you know, those are, are you know you know some of those contextual forces uh, kind of uh, amount to some kind of perfect storm for uh, a modernist uh, literature that could brand itself as a, as a, you know, uh, built on, you know, as a kind of fresh start, as a brand, a brand new beginning, as beginning on a wipe, a slate wipe clean. Uh, so, um, so that's, you know, uh, Ji Xian and uh, the influence of this uh, manifesto uh definitely could be seen uh, on uh, a lot of younger poets, including the soldier writers that i focus on in the next two chapters uh, because it uh, made visible uh, some of the alternatives uh, of literary production that were not only uh, uh, were not only uh, available to them because of the uh, mediation of Tien and, and some other early uh, practitioners, but also uh, were quite safe, right? <laughs> that they they uh, somehow they can sense that kind of at least some kind of acquiescence on the part of the the government, right? That they could, you know, do this, you know. Uh, uh, you know, along with their um, along with their day job, right, uh, as you know, soldiers, right, writing among other things, uh, propaganda tracks, right, uh, and as you know, in the case of Ji Xian, as a high school teacher, right, um, and uh, yeah, so that's you know the kind of uh, mode of operation for. Uh, uh, a lot of, uh, well, uh, for almost most of the uh, modernist writers uh, uh, in addition to the kind of um, uh, contents that they can uh, aspire to create. So uh, that's, you know, what I have to say about the influence or significance of this uh, manifesto. And of course, it also showcased how you could kind of uh, strike that delicate balance, right? Uh, but one thing about the role of the government, you know, this is something that uh, was first mentioned by uh, Zhang Songsheng, uh, that, you know, uh, the government actually uh, um, made it quite clear uh, after the mid-1950s that they could not only uh, tolerate uh, so-called uh, or pure literature right? uh, but also encourage it right? um, uh, the kind of uh, uh, inside stories provided by Professor Zhang uh, is that you know, writers such as Wang Dingjun uh, who was uh, actually one of the cultural bureaucrats uh, uh, inside the national government at the time uh, kind of secretly uh, pushed for that you know uh, at the right timing right because you know uh, they just didn't see how anti-communist or patriotic literature uh, could continue to do the work that it, 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 they it, they envisioned it to do right so
1: yeah and then especially this is a, a interesting historical period and as you mentioned to think about art for art's sake or, in terms of this kind of political um, engagement or this uh, political function, if you will, of a literary writing in this moment of time, especially under the uh, nationalist regime. So uh, we talk about Ji Xian and also the soldier uh, writers. And then um, in one of your chapter, you focused on uh, one of the uh, Writers uh, Luo Fu and especially uh, his work "Death of a Stone Cell," and uh, can you tell us about a little bit more about this particular work, and then how it uh, uh, demonstrate the uh, Cold War ethos that you analyze in that chapter?
0: Yeah, okay, that's the most difficult part (laughs) 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 because that's actually the most notoriously uh, difficult uh, work of poetry. Uh, that until this day, uh, no critic uh, can claim to uh, to be, you know, able to uh, interpret the in good faith very clearly uh, each of the passages, each of the words or images, right? What they what they might mean, right? Uh, in a coherent way. So there was also uh, one of a kind uh, work um, that, that uh, could hardly be uh, repeated, or uh, uh, you know, not even by Dufu himself uh, uh, to be um, you know uh, uh, to be produced again, uh, uh, or you know, uh, to come up with uh, something uh, similar to. Uh, this uh, of a stone cell. Wow. Um, so, um, okay. Um, the kind of um, cold war ethos that I elaborated on in this chapter uh, definitely uh, has a lot to do with uh, the. Um, Okay, Uh, a lot to do with some of the uh, uh, themes or sentiments, themes and sentiments uh, 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 that are uh, often associated with uh, the modernist uh, uh, works of literature uh, in Taiwan. Right. And, but, you know, in, 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 in an extended sense also can characterize uh, some of the uh, modernist works elsewhere. Right? Uh, you know, that kind of anxiety, uh, some kind of uh, um, existential or existentialist um, uh, sentiment um, prevalent at the time that, you know, uh, Maybe issue from some uh, very deep uh, uh, sense of insecurity, uh, uncertainty uh, pertaining to the uh, cross-trade situations uh, at the time. But of course, uh, that kind of interpretation, the last part of my interpretation of this kind of cold ESAS, uh wouldn't um, be... <coughs> Uh, made clear uh, or uh, highlighted by uh, many of the uh, interpretations and commentators of uh, uh, death of a stone cell. Uh, So uh, the uh, formal experimentation exemplified by right, death of a stone cell, it's des- definitely uh, have far-reaching <coughs> uh, effects on the literary productions uh, uh, in the ensuing years, but also in the latter uh, decades. Uh, you know, if you want to, uh, you know, is if you aspire to write uh, the most difficult uh, 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 <sighs> works of literature, then definitely uh, you have to also, uh, you have to first uh, read uh, Death of a Stone Cell, right? um, So, yeah, so, you know, uh, a lot of uh, writers right. have- uh, so, acknowledged uh, their Sorry, sorry, yeah.
1: Mm, so, yeah, go ahead, please. Uh,
0: a lot of writers uh, in a lot of generations also have acknowledged their indebtedness, right? Death of a stone cell uh, so that's you know uh, about it's you know mostly about its the the kind of formal very daring challenging and also at time creative formal experimentation but the the kind of uh, uh, the, uh, the kind of, um, ethos, uh also um uh, you know, can be. Uh, we can also shed more light on this this kind of ethos if we look at uh, the 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 kind of um, um, in, in uh, critical enterprise uh, that emerged uh, uh, around the same time, right? Uh, or you know, in the wake of Death of Stone Step. Uh, what I I call it the cult of interiority in this chapter, right? and uh, this is you know a kind of uh, preoccupation uh, with uh, you know with the uh, the uh, with depths right when it comes to literary uh, works and the, the you know the depths of uh, um, you know what and you know. Uh, Human psyche, right, and uh, some kind of uh, deeper look at uh, some kind of universal uh, conditions of human existence, uh, and uh, <clears throat> the you know this kind of interiority complex also uh, can be uh, uh, illustrated by uh, the critics' uh, deep dive. Uh, into the textual int- uh, the, the inner uh, intricate uh, intri- intricacies of the textual universe uh, uh, with some kind of almost uh, total disregard of uh, its referential um, uh, referentiality right and but of course this is uh, partly, uh, legitimized by uh, that kind of very evasive illusions uh, uh, that people can gather uh, from uh, from many passages uh, in Death of a stone cell right so so that um, so that that kind of indulgence uh, in uh, the depths of human psyche, that kind of indulgence in, in the inner plate of the textual world, right, uh, and that can take you away from uh, 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 the uh, the uh, uh, brutal realities of the core context, uh, but in and but also into some kind of uh, presumably infinite complexities of the textual universe. Uh, that that's you know uh, that kind of uh, uh, cult of interiority uh, actually have um, have influenced uh, uh, the, many of the contemporary writers and critics uh, and it's you know impact can also be uh, evidence in some of the uh, 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 writers coming up them
1: Right, and then especially you mentioned there are some of the themes concerned and also sentiments that uh, we see in Luofu's uh, Death of the Stone Cell, but later on we also see uh, in different um, modernist writers and also this, um, in some way, also uh, we see the influence from the Western uh, model as well. And uh, so earlier, uh, so We talk about the themes and sentiments. And um, earlier, you also talk about the nationalist regime that how they in some way uh, sort of uh, uh, allow this development of modernist uh, trend in Taiwan. But in addition to the nationalist, Uh, regime, there's also some of the American connection and also the uh, U.S. aid in terms of the formation and development of literary modernism in Taiwan. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about the U.S. aided literary establishment and how they shape the modernist literature in Taiwan?
0: Okay, so that is about chapter four and five of my book. Um, So that kind of uh, American presence um, uh, was already nascent in the earliest year of uh, this modernist uh, movement. But it became uh, so um, much more visible and uh, uh, impactful uh, up to the 1960s. Um, uh, and, uh, uh, there was also around the same time since the, uh, you know, late 1950s, yeah, the emergence of what I call the culture of USAs, right. Uh, that has a lot to do with, uh, you know, the fact that, you know, uh, Taiwan, uh, had been receiving, uh. uh A's from the United States uh, in multiple multiple forms, right? Uh, not limited to military A's, right? Uh, um and, and even after uh, the A's uh, had been have uh, phased out uh, in the 60s, uh, that kind of uh, culture uh, not only state, that kind of cultural impact, not only stayed, but also flourished, right? as we will be able to see in the uh, in the formation of this uh, U.S.-aided literary uh, establishment. Right? The term was uh, uh, in Chinese was uh, uh, It was first coined by the scholar Chen Jianzhong. Right? Um, and uh, um, I actually uh, uh, benefited of, uh, a lot from uh, the work of Chen Jianzhong and also the archival work uh, done by Wang Meixiang uh, in this regard when I tried to uh, retract uh, this kind of institutional formation that enabled... Uh, the flourishing of modernist literature uh, since the early 1960s. Uh, So, uh, okay, so we now have to kind of uh, dive a little bit deeper into the the specific examples uh, and moments uh, uh, in which, you know, this kind of, in which this kind of US-aided establishment uh, uh, worked. So uh, in chapter four, I talk about, uh, I think I, I, I mean, my, one of my points is that in order to really better understand uh, the much celebrated uh, founding event of modern modernist literature in the form of the publication of the journal uh, Shen, Daiwen, Shen Modern Literature by those young student writers. Uh, we have to also trace a little bit back uh, to, uh, you know, uh, who kind of uh, gave, you know, who kind of nurtured uh, those ideas uh, for them, right? Who, you know, I mean, we had kind of, that's why I also mentioned uh the mentor of these student writers, Xia Jiyan, T.A. Xia, right? And his, ger- his journal, uh, Literary Review, right? In Chinese, Wenxue uh, uh, What's the significance of this uh, journal? Wenxue Uh Because according to the uh, uh, latest um, findings, of recent scholarship um uh, 文学雜誌, literary review uh, did receive um uh, some forms of funding or some form of financial support from this US uh agency U, uh, USIS Taipei Meixinchu right? right uh Taipei uh, Meixinchu right um so uh uh, the uh, American connections uh, of uh, Xia Ji and and uh, his st- students have been known uh, before uh, the latest archival findings. That people know that they have uh, obviously uh, they obviously have very good connections with the Americans. Uh, American officials are based in Taiwan at the time right uh, and uh, their uh, works uh, uh, and literary practices the publications of those journals uh, definitely can uh, be infle- uh, inflected uh, by the American presence right uh, but uh, but the the uh, the work by Wang Mei Xiang and uh, and uh, Chen Jianzhong uh, tell us more uh, in in more detail and you know, in some kind of uh, hard evidence how uh, you know how you know directly uh, although co- uh, secretly or covertly uh, uh, the Americans uh, took part in this kind of. Uh, literary establishment around those years. Uh, so uh, it, it's also because of the connections of Xia Ji'an that uh, those students uh, could have some kind of fast track uh, to literary success. It doesn't mean that they were not talented, right? But they they uh, they could make use of uh, their mentors' uh, connections and uh, actually did receive a lot of help from one of the uh, pivotal uh, figures, as far as uh, American officials are concerned, uh, Richard McCarthy, right? Uh, To help them um, uh, not only get published, but publicize their works through uh, the uh, official channels, uh, established by the Americans, and also, you know, after their graduations, uh, uh, send them to uh, some uh, American institutions, mostly uh, the Writers' Workshop at Iowa, uh, to uh, continue continue their literary pursuit and uh, uh, embark on that kind of expatriate writings. Right? So yeah, so. Uh, uh, we cannot, uh, you know, go over all the details, and uh, I know there are people who are not happy about this kind of archival finding, uh, but uh, but they, you know, uh, they did uh, tell us a lot about the uh, extent uh, to which um, uh, the 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 U.S. presence. Uh, and the culture of the USA uh, play into the uh, the literary establishment at the time and oh sorry if I can just add one more thing right okay. um, the uh, the um, okay there's also this reformist uh, thrust uh, on the part of uh, uh, both Xia Ji and, and his students, right? Uh, and, you know, uh, when they, um, in, uh, when they, um, uh, when they uh, you know, uh, established uh, the, their journals, right? Uh, first literary uh, review and then uh, modern literature. Uh, they have their visions, they have their agendas. Uh, and those uh, uh, the, the agenda is reformist uh, uh, in, in nature. Right? Uh, uh, but, you know, just like, you know, uh, their uh, predecessors uh, uh, in Cold War Taiwan, uh, they also uh, tried uh, to strike some kind of balance uh, uh And uh, they also had this, uh, what I uh, have repeatedly called uh, throughout the book, this kind of moderate, not only modernist, but also moderationist uh, inclination in doing their work. They, you know, they tend to do, you know, they, you know, tend to have this kind of one step forward, half step back uh, (laughs) process, right, in pushing for or pushing the envelope, right. Uh, to kind of allocate for an alternative uh, paradigm that eventually became part of the canon. Right? Uh, so So uh, Xia Jian's uh, literary uh, magazine uh, literary uh, review uh, was uh, established first as a, some kind of alternative, to the uh, communist, -communist, anti-communist literature uh, 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 propagated uh, by uh, the authorities. Uh, So they offer instead some kind of uh, some form uh, or some version of pure literature uh, that that doesn't carry some kind of uh, didactic uh, messages that doesn't really uh, try to uh, you know champion some kind of anti-communist cause. Although they they were they also have their anti-communist agenda. You know that's a side point, right? Uh, and and the, the you know because you know because their connection with the U.S. Cold War uh, initiatives. That's you know uh, the the American support is definitely part of the anti-communist agenda, right? But yeah, so they that's what they set out to do, right? To to provide some alternative, uh, to advocate for some alternative paradigm. And this has been passed on to their students and their students. uh, I mean, I mean, Jiajian students um, focus more on uh, so-called modernist literature as their paradigm, right? Uh, which is slightly different from their mentors uh, um, um, kind of um, Orientation, literary orientation, or taste uh, that means more to some kind of realist um, agenda. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so that is uh, so w- one another thing that I uh, also mentioned uh, more than once is, you know, uh, that kind of compromise formation right? in. In the uh, uh, in the literary uh, USA, the literary, um, uh, establishment, and in in the uh, uh, the literary practices uh, by um, by the modernist writers, right? uh, it's uh, in in different ways they all have to uh, kind of um, come to terms with some parts of reality to negotiate uh, some limited um, autonomy or agency, right? Uh, even though, okay, on paper, uh, autonomy is like, you know, literally autonomy is like some kind of sa- one of the uh, principles that are deemed to be sacred, you know, uh, beyond a- anything else. Right? Uh, but. In reality, uh, they knew and they actually comply to some of the uh, circumstantial limits uh, uh, that they simply have to adjust to. So I think that's also uh, part of the, uh, uh, you know, characters of uh, this co-modernism that I wish to uh, uh, highlight and uh, have some uh, deeper understanding now.
1: hmm And especially in this uh, American connections and also, as you mentioned, the uh, USAID, American support. And, but this is also a process of negotiation and compromise for the uh, modernist writers, that they, they have to consider different um, uh, issues and also their context of writing. And uh, so with that, uh, I want to sort of zoom in in one of the uh, example that you analyze in chapter five and specifically uh, Bai Xianyong and uh, who is uh, a, a renowned modernist writer, but uh, later on actually uh, crossed the Pacific and then came to United States and uh, write uh, multiple uh, literary works as well. And you analyzed his work, especially in terms of this kind of exile in the 1970s. So can you tell us a little bit more about Ba Xianyong and his work, and especially the literature of exile in the 1970s?
0: Okay, yes. So um, so after their departure from Taiwan and, uh, and uh, you know, uh, they, they embark on their uh, graduate studies in the United States one by one. Those and uh, the most famous uh, student writers follow this path, right? Um, and uh, uh, yes, there's, so there's they you know in the end they they uh, especially in the case of Bai xinyong right? But also that also applies to uh, I would say most of the. Um, most of the most uh, well-known modernist writers, uh, they write primarily overseas. They wrote primarily overseas, and uh, uh, and therefore constitute some kind of expatriate writings. Uh, but you know, uh, they have also had this kind of very curious trajectory that I. Uh, that uh, I look at and analyze in more depth, in in, in, in detail, in this chapter. Uh, so there's this kind of um, uh, what I call exit and uh, return and uh, exile uh, uh, trajectory, right? So uh, the I mean. They just like first of all, there's this uh, quest for an exit that is quite common uh, in those cold war years, right? Uh, I think uh, I think I mentioned in one of the notes um, in chapter four, or chapter five. Uh, uh, that, you know, I think you, you also have heard of that, that saying, yeah, right, so, uh, so that kind of exit is, you know, part of a cold war symptoms uh, um, that speaks to the uh, uncertainty of the, um, uh, you know, the collective fate of people in Taiwan, right? Uh, but also... Uh, Tell us about uh, an a kind of alternative American dream that many Taiwanese have, especially those uh, up and coming um, writers, right? So, so uh, yeah, I would definitely uh, focus zoom in on Bai Xian Yong, but let me just mention briefly, right? This past, right? Uh, you know, uh, that is kind of. Um, Spearheaded by someone like uh, Yu Guangzhong, and then the student writers, and then uh, following them uh, one by one, the 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 you know uh, the almost all the major writers now uh, we have known uh, from Taiwan, uh, and also uh, other uh, famous writers from other parts of the world, mostly uh, from those countries that were uh, U.S. allies. Uh, that, you know, went to this uh, uh, international uh, Uh, writing program in Iowa. So, uh, okay, so Bai Xin Yong kind of uh, 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 embodied uh, that path and that mode of uh, creative uh, production very well. And, uh, uh, okay, so did you, uh, by the way, did you ask me to also talk about that short story or just by Xinyong's uh, trajectory?
1: Um, yeah, I think both will be great. And then uh, especially the winter night that you analyze. Yes.
0: So, yeah, I... I um, Kind of uh, did some some very detailed uh, textual analysis of this short story, part, partly because it 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 uh, epitomizes um, um, the kind of mindset and uh, trajectories of a lot of intellectuals uh, in Cold War Taiwan around that uh, around those decades right? in the. 50s and 60s, right? Uh, and also, I think you know that can also be said about the 70s. Um, so uh, there were these two college friends, right, uh, who uh, have similar background as um, um, you know the 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 teacher of those student writers, like Xia Jiyan, right? A few years uh, older than than uh, the student writers, and uh, so they uh, the, the the reunion uh, between these two friends uh, led them to kind of uh, 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 reminisce their uh, good old days uh, in. Uh, Beijing University, right, uh, taking part in the uh, anti Japanese protest and in that kind of uh, 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 outbursts of uh, 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 patriotism, and uh, but also uh, their participation in the main force movement. Right? Uh, so this can uh, definitely lead us to. Uh, the kind of um, uh, first of all, the trajectory, uh, that are also repeated by the uh, modernist writers, right? The uh, exit, right? Uh, like those uh, characters in the novel, uh, in the short story, the exit, uh, from their homeland. right live in China. And uh, the longing for return, right? As you know, this embodied by this um, uh, character who is a professor teaching at UC Berkeley uh, and teaching Chinese literature, no less. And uh, um, but also, um, uh, it also kind of um, initiate uh, instantiate that kind of. Uh, uh, intellectual remonstrance uh, that is <clears throat> crucial to uh, our understanding of uh, this modernism. Right? Uh, so what is that uh, what is that uh, traditional remonstrance, uh, what, what does that appeal to them? Right? Um, uh, the main force uh, definitely is a historical event that they, uh, they 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 continue to return to especially when they invoke uh, something that can help their present cause. Right? Uh, so, uh, but you know this uh, uh, invocation uh, of that uh, re- uh, tradition of remonstrance uh, would also. Uh, tell us about their urge for, first of all, for modernization, right? Uh, the modernization of literature, of uh, culture, right? Uh, and uh, but, also, um, their, uh, but, uh, but also their, but but also their deep seated uh, nationalism. Uh, that, uh, would be, uh, that would be that uh, would be that would be illustrated by uh, their uh, traditionalist undercurrents that came up much later, uh, after they have uh, secured their places in the literary canon. So, uh, so, so you can see through the characters and also through the career paths of these modernist writers. So, so there's this exit, right? And 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 uh, following that exit, there's this longing for return. Right? And the longing for return also is coupled with, you know, some kind of regret about the earlier exits, right? That they, uh, in retrospect, uh, they tend to think that they were excessive uh, in their earlier endeavor. Uh, uh, so they kind of self-corrected themselves later on. Right? Um, uh, so the moderationist uh, pension right? Uh, and, uh, but eventually they settle in some form of uh, exile, right? uh, both spiritual and or either spiritual, spiritual or uh, actual uh, exile uh, and in some cases both. Uh, so, so uh, you know, uh, so uh, Bai Xingrong also uh, wrote the majority of his best works right, in exile, right, a kind of chosen exile, right? Um, so, um, including you know this story, uh, Winter Night, uh, that I discuss in detail in my in chapter five. So that is, um, um, you know, that is the kind of mode operation uh, uh, that we can see in other modernist writers that follow his footsteps. I, we, uh, I in this chapter, I also mentioned uh, the, some of the uh, the uh, the other lesser-known modernist writers, of course, as well known by you, uh Guo Songfen and Li Yu. And also Chen Ruoxi, right? Um, uh, who uh kind of uh had a slightly different uh trajectory than uh, Bai Xianyong and, and and Wang Wenxin and Ouyang Zi, uh, and those other uh uh student writers that are household names now. Um. Uh, so, but uh, uh but but you know they have this uh, they they have this preoccupation with china right uh that led them to actually uh went back actually went did them that them to actually go back to china right and uh as you definitely are, are aware of their uh Roshi and the uh, and the and the uh, uh, guosong return to china uh were made possible precisely because uh, they resided at the time in the United States, right? Uh, They did not uh, go back to China uh, from Taiwan, right? I mean, they have to kind of do that by some kind of detour, right? Uh, But, uh, uh, you know, they could only write about and reflect on their... uh, China experiences, uh, uh, you know, after they uh, had left China and and to to live in exile and write in that, you know, produce that kind of expatriate writing, and that's also the the circumstances in which they they produce their best works.
1: Yeah, and then specifically, as you mentioned, this uh, trajectory, as you mentioned, the exit, return, and exile from the be- beginning to seek exit a way out, and then later on to long for a return, and uh, eventually there's this spiritual or, and in some cases, and the actual exile, and in some degree, it's a self exile as well. So for this trajectory, and then the, uh, the modernist writers, they are um, uh, experiencing while producing their uh, modernist work. So uh, with uh, this different uh, case studies, and then we also talk about the historical context, political landscape, and also the different uh, literary production for the modernist literature in Taiwan that you analyze in this book, particularly in the Cold War context. Um, so, we are curious: is there any material that didn't get to be included in the book, or uh, any uh, most unexpected material you encounter, or some of the uh, archival material, or anything you would like to share with us uh, in this uh, writing of the book?
0: Uh, yeah, there are some unexpected um, materials that I stumble on, but you know, uh, I. I couldn't include it into this, uh, the writing of this book. Uh, but I will, uh, in uh, you know, in my next book. <laughs> uh, the you know, there are th- definitely more things that I would have liked to include in this book uh, than time allowed. Uh, so uh, I, you know, like I said at the toward the beginning. Uh, I realized quickly that this, you know, uh, this is just one uh, the the first step of my uh, coming to terms with both uh, modernism and post-colonial studies. Right? So uh, there were theoretical issues that I would have uh, uh, elaborated on in more depth. Uh, uh, if I had a time or more space, uh, but I, you know, for example, you know, the, uh, you know, uh, the, the temporality of, um, of modernism and some more, uh, theoretical, uh, reflections on the second coming nature of this modernism and also actually other modernism as well. Right? Uh, but, but I think, you know, I, in the end, I think this, uh, the book in its present state, <laughs> it's actually the final state of this book, um, uh, can be more, uh, maybe in tune with, uh, uh, scholarly books in the field of Taiwan studies, right? Um and uh, I would save some of the uh, more theori- theoretical questions, uh, you know, for some o- other occasions, and some of those would uh, you know be written into my next book.. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I think um, I would say uh, at the very beginning, uh, maybe that was many years ago, maybe six or five years ago, when I, you know, wasn't sure I wanted to actually start writing this book, uh, I didn't know. I wasn't very sure about the archival work. I was kind of skeptical about that. I, right? um, and uh, because you know there have been some kind of uh, controversies, and you know, you know people like Bai Xingyong and his. Um, Uh, Co-hosts, you know, uh, actually went to the media to kind of uh, denounce some of the uh, uh, claims other people made. Uh, You know, in this case, uh, made by Chen Fangming. So I kind of didn't uh, want to get into that kind of controversy. But you know, I think. uh, But by the time I actually uh, started writing this book, uh, uh, I think uh, I've already. Uh, know well enough about the uh, uh, the archives and I think you know uh, it there's I, I also thought that there was uh, a, a a way to kind of um, put those archives in a context that allow for some kind of more nuanced understanding of uh, what they did around those years and how the uh, U.S. aided establishment um, came, uh, came about and how we, you know, eventually, inevitably, uh, everyone will come to some kind of judgment on, uh, um, you know, those connections. Right? Uh, but I think, uh, uh, you know, it's also very important and, uh, and there's no looking away from those hard evidence either.
1: Right, and then um, specifically to think about uh, what gets to be included in the archive and how to interpret the archival material. And uh, also you mentioned several times about your next book and next project, so I uh, guess we have to ask, um, so what are you working on right now or what's your next project is?
0: Okay, I think um, following on my arguments and findings in this book uh, co Modernism, uh, I would now uh, seek in the new book project to examine account for the populist turn across most categories of cultural productions, including art, cinema, literature, pop as well, serious music, even folk cultural practices, that uh, characterize uh, Taiwan's post-Martial Law cultural scene, and that uh, coincide with the radical and p- social, uh, radical political and social changes of the era. So it's you know, like I said, you know, I wanted to also bring in <laughs> my years of studies on um, uh, post um, post-colonialism. And also my initial interest in accounting for the colonial and post-colonial situations of Taiwan, and it, because I think also there was this, it seems to me there was this missed opportunity, or I would say maybe you know the the kind of work um, that uh, we in Taiwan academia had done on uh, um, post-colonialism or post-coloniality uh, of Taiwan uh, didn't really um, help me answer some of the questions. So I, I and I actually you know, looking back at that uh, that part of intellectual very recent intellectual history I, I kind of a little bit puzzled by why, uh, for example, a lot of people stop uh, <laughs> doing or f- as, at least not uh, uh, focusing on uh, the more patently post-colonial issues. right? Uh, and, you know, as if, you know, at that time it's like, okay, so there's this uh, linguistic term, postmodernism, and then there's this uh, turn to post-colonialism and then we move on to some other paradigm, some new catchphrase um, from uh, Euro-American academia, and you know, it just you know, then it seems that you know, uh, we just move on, right, without uh, uh, kind of finished uh, uh, the work that a lot of people have already touched on. Mm-hmm regarding the post-coloniality of uh, Taiwan, including myself, right? So um, so that's, you know, uh, that's something that I hope that I can make up for <laughs> um, in my next book. Uh, it was make up for something that I, uh, I wasn't able to address uh, in this book on Cold War Modernism. Right. But, you know, it's, you know, the second step, you know, that has to be followed up. And uh, so. So I think, you know, another thing that I uh, want to uh, another thing that is, you know, part of the uh, um, in the backdrop of the new book, uh, but also in the backdrop of the this book we're talking about is this. Um, Incremental yet decisive shift in Taiwan's collective identity, right, away from a a once hegemonic, uh, sino-centric cultural ide- ideology, and towards the Taiwanese here and now, right. So, so um, yeah, so the Taiwanese here and now serves as not serves as the uh, unmistakable default, right, unlike, you know the, uh, the kind of parameter of the China of the past and the future that underpins the, uh, preceding modernist paradigm. Right? So, um, so, uh, in this new project, I, I would, um, you know, try to illustrate through a wide range of works, uh, uh, and, uh, you know, and, uh, Talk about the uh, the aforemen- aforementioned shift, right, resulting from resulting from the uh, recognition and reconsiderations of Taiwan's past of settler serial colonialism. Right? You know, this is uh, definitely, uh, yeah, this is uh, one of the uh, terms highlighted by Sushu <coughs> Mei. Right? And uh, I think you know, in order to more adequately address. The post coloniality of Taiwan, uh, and that also enabled this, you know, that kind of uh, shift and reconsideration uh, of the modernist paradigm would be, you know, uh, for me, very importantly, the historical character of Taiwan as a center colony. So, uh, and also the lasting effects of what I term the mediated coloniality of Taiwan. So those are the things that I uh, that I, I wish to address, uh, not only theoretically, but also through uh, these illustrations of numerous texts and cases. And uh, <clears throat> hopefully, in the end, uh, this new project can also help me to return to some of the some of uh, my unfinished business (laughs) with modernism, but also help to shed light on some of the uh, arguments or refine some of the arguments that I have made uh, in this book on co Modernism.
1: Yeah, thank you for sharing, Li Jing, and that sounds great project. And then, um, and we look forward to reading more of your work and also see the different um, uh, next step uh, after this book. So um, with that, uh, Li Jing, I want to thank you for being on the show today. I really enjoy our conversation.
0: Thank you for inviting me. I I also enjoyed the conversation very much. I wish we had more time to talk about that, but it looks like, you know, we have already spent two hours, (laughs) Uh, you know, maybe, uh, yeah, there are some minutes outside the official recording, but I guess, you know, maybe... Maybe you will be, we'll be cut off <laughs> by this Zancaster uh, uh, at any moment. So yeah, I think we should you know, come to an end now.
1: Yeah, yeah but um, we will be looking forward to your work and then uh, look forward to welcoming you back again uh, with another episode. And I also want to thank you, our audience, for staying with us to the end. And I hope everybody's staying safe, taking good care, and see you guys next time. Goodbye.
0: Bye. Thank you. Bye.